Heavenly Father, for the words of that song, we don't belong. We know our place is with You. We are not of this world, Lord. We know we're just pilgrims and strangers passing through. Father, during our journey, we pray that You guide us, uphold us, strengthen us, Lord. You are our refuge amidst the turmoil. You are our comfort in time of pain. Lord, You're our hope in a world of hopelessness. And You're our stability in a time of restlessness. We thank You, Lord, for Your presence in our lives and in our midst this morning. We pray now that You would open our minds and our ears and our, and our hearts to Your Word. Speak to us, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to share a little story with you. It takes place on August 22nd, 1741. We're going way back. It was a sweltering, sweltering day in the city of London. An elderly, stooped-shouldered gentleman was wandering the streets. His, his nightly, aimless wandering through the streets of London had become a familiar ritual. His angry mind raced back to a better time. Memories of great adulation. And then he looked forward to a future of seemingly hopeless despair. See, for 40 years, the bachelor had written operatic music. And he was the rave of royalty, both in England and, and the entire continent. Honors had fallen at his feet. He was in demand everywhere. And then things changed suddenly and drastically. Fellow musicians became jealous and, and bitter. Members of the royal court had turned their favor against him. A rival gained great success and he was left forgotten and nearly bankrupt. And as though that were not enough, a cerebral hemorrhage paralyzed his right side, leaving him unable to write. He could no longer write. Doctors gave little hope for his recovery, but George refused their prognosis. He turned to the only friend who had never left him. The only friend by whom he never felt unloved or unwanted. Jesus Christ. He turned to the Lord in prayer. Gradually, his weakened muscles began to receive new life. As his health improved, he once again began to write. Soon, to his amazement, his works were being received with rapturous applause. Honors again began to flow. Life seemed to be heading for the stars. But then he found himself in the pits once more. Queen Caroline, who had been his, his staunchest supporter, died. England found itself on very hard economic times. and Wasting heat to warm a theater seemed ridiculous. So here he was again. His shows were canceled. He was on the brink of bankruptcy. And at the age of 57, he found himself wandering aimlessly through the streets again. In his wanderings, George reminded himself that God still had a plan for his life, though admittedly he, he couldn't imagine what it could possibly be. His career was finished. His best work was far behind him. Discouraged, he wandered back home. Opening his door, he found a, a wealthy gentleman sitting, waiting for him in his living room. The man was Charles Gibbon, who had startled England recently by rewriting Shakespeare. Gibbon explained that he had just finished writing a text for a musical that covered both the Old and New Testaments. 
He believed that the gifted musician was just the right man to set it to music. He gave the manuscript to the composer and and challenged him to write. As he walked out the door, Gibbon turned just long enough to say, the Lord gave me those words. The great maestro scoffed at the audacity of the young man. No one had ever challenged George Frederick Handel to write something he had not thought of first. Handel's temper was violent and he was a dominating presence among his enemies. Why had Gibbon not brought an opera that was more the composer's cup of tea to him? Indifferently, he he began to read. Suddenly, portions of the passage leaped from the page. His eyes fell on such words as he was despised, rejected of men. He looked for someone to have pity on him, but there was no man. Neither found he any to comfort him. His eyes raced ahead to he trusted in God. God did not leave his soul in hell. He will give you rest. And finally, the words stopped at, Oh, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Rejoice. Hallelujah. He picked up his pen and began to write. Instantly, his bitterness and despair seemed to melt away. Music began to flow through his mind as if it had been pent up for years. Putting music to the script, he finished the first part in seven days. The second part was completed in six days and two days was spent fine-tuning the instrumentation. Less than one month earlier, his career seemed finished, irrelevant. At the age of 57, Handel completed the Messiah in a mere 24 days. Many know that when the classical work was first performed in London and the Hallelujah Chorus was reached, King George stood because he was so moved. To this day, people still rise to their feet as a sign of worship to God and admiration of this great work of art. I can't hear it today and reach the Hallelujah Chorus without my eyes swelling in tears. Handel had to deal with the pits of life, but the strength to do so came from knowing the one who can overcome all of the pits. The one who's able to rescue you from every one of them. Do you see his hand in the pit you may find yourself in today? Perhaps the pit is merely a brief stopping place on the way to something far greater. Success. Every successful Christian life is a life filled with as many pits and valleys as it is mountains and peaks. Success is never defined as as failing to fall into the pits but how we respond when we find ourselves in them. See, the choices we make define the success or failure we find. So we ask ourselves, is our commitment to Christ strong enough to weather the storms of life, the no's of life, the blows of life? As we look around at the state of Christianity today, and the level of commitment to Christ, it's not a pretty picture. Sadly, in too many cases, I would describe it in four words. Three hours on Sunday. For too many people that claim they're devoted Christians, that's the extent of their commitment to Christ. Lord, I want your blessings. I I want you to use me, Lord. I want you to empower me, fill me with your knowledge and wisdom and power. I want your protection upon me and my children. I want your providences, Lord. I want all the blessings you can bestow upon me. And in return, I'm willing 
to give you three hours on Sunday. I'm willing to, to, to put that into our partnership, Lord. It's sad, but it's become the accepted norm in Christendom today. Mediocre commitment. Mediocre commitment results only in a life of mediocrity. We want to live a life that rises above the mediocrity around us, don't we? We want to live a life that challenges the accepted norm of this day. A life that strives to follow the standard set by Christ, not by those around us. Our text this morning exemplifies that better than any other example I can provide for you. Turn with me. Daniel chapter 6. I've titled this sermon, An Exemplary Life. And it's based on one of my favorite Old Testament stories. It far surpasses any nail-biting cliffhanger Hollywood can throw onto our screens. You'll see when we read through it. It's a story that has it all. A whirlwind roller coaster ride about faith, commitment, jealousy, sabotage, retribution, violence, and a hold-your-breath ending you'll never forget. Our story takes place in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim in B.C. 606. Daniel and his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were among the young Jewish nobility carried off to Babylon. The four were chosen for their intellect and their beauty to be trained as advisors to the Babylonian court. So here we go. We're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to go quickly. Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, look, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius, who had his ego properly stroked, put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, what did he do? He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. King, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? 
The king answered, yes, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, you know, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king has heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and he made every effort until sundown to save him to no avail. Then the men went as a group to the king and said, remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom whom you continually serve, may he rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried, he raced to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you continually serve been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel, has your God been able to rescue you? Verse 21, Daniel answered, Really doesn't matter what he said, does it? The fact is, Daniel answered. <laughs> o king, live forever. Yes, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was even found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, maybe there was something wrong with these lions, you think. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. I told you this was going to be violent. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. We, we learn later clarifies in Daniel chapter nine that after the Persian conquest of Babylon, Daniel held the office of the first of the three presidents of the empire under the reign of Darius the Mede. He was essentially at the head of state affairs with the ability to influence the prospects of the captive Jews whom he at last had the joy of seeing restored to their own land. What a life. What an exemplary life. What do you think? A successful life? A life lived above the mediocrity around him? 
Absolutely. Daniel broke the mold of mediocre living. He excelled in a social environment where the majority of the countrymen were content with living the status quo. But the secret, the secret of Daniel's success is, is really no secret at all. His success was a result of very direct and explicit choices he made. Choices made to honor God. They're the very same choices we're faced with today. And the critical lessons that we take away from Daniel's exemplary life. I want to talk about them. Three choices. What did he do? First, Daniel chose character over comfort. In a short period of time, Daniel developed a reputation, didn't he? He was known to be honorable and ethical. His closet was clean. There were no skeletons waiting to haunt him. Even Daniel's enemies found him trustworthy. Remember what they said in verses 4 and 5. They tried to find grounds for charges against him, but they couldn't do so. They could find no corruption in him. He was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never, we'll never find basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has to do with something about his God. Unfortunately, we're living in a time when it's extremely easy to compromise our integrity. So what? So what if I don't exactly tell the truth here? It's a little white lie. Harmless. So what if I don't put in a full work week? Who's going to know? Big deal if I pad my consulting hours here and there. Everybody's doing it. Shady business practices? It's the accepted norm. Who will really know? Who will care? Who's going to say anything? Who's going to say anything if I stretch the truth? Cut corners? Sneak an answer on an exam? Cheat on your income tax? Who's really going to care? Who's going to know? A letter was sent to the IRS. It stated, Dear Sirs, last year when I filed my income tax return, I deliberately misrepresented my income. Now I cannot sleep. Enclosed is a check for $150 for taxes. If I still can't sleep, I will gladly send you the rest. It's humorous. But it's sadly common today, isn't it? It's so easy to compromise our virtue, especially when this type of behavior has become the accepted norm. But such compromise will cost you the joy of unhindered fellowship with the Lord. It'll cost you your reputation. It'll cost you your character. In your life, strive for ethical and moral purity. Like Daniel, be willing to be different. Be willing to be a contrast to this world. It's so tragic that the modern church at large today often complements rather than contrasts the behavior of the world. The thinking today is that if we make the church more like the world, well, then it's more accessible to those coming in from the world. Give a church a nightclub or coffee house feel and the world will be more accepting and comfortable with us. Give a church service more of a performance show, light show, theater presentation, or concert feel. Oh, and people will find it more accessible, more attractive. Friends, we don't copy the world to please the world. We stand for Christ to please Christ. We display a difference to a dying world so that those who are so tired of this world and longing for something else will find that. They will find something better. They will see a contrast and find contentment in Christ. Not more of the same in more of the same. 
our lives should show a contrast. When we imitate the world, when we go with the flow because it's comfortable, what contrast for Christ are we displaying to those around us, to those who are watching our lives, to those who are longing for something better? Daniel. Daniel chose character over comfort. It's comfortable to do what everyone else is doing, isn't it? It's comfortable to fly below the radar. It's hard to stand for what's right. He had the courage to be different. Stand for what is right according to God's word, regardless of the accepted norm. It may be the less comfortable option. It may mean persecution, ridicule and scorn, but you will find success and rewards from the hand of God, not from the offerings of this world. Choose character over comfort. The first choice he made. Second choice. Daniel chose discipline over disorder. Three times a day, we're told. Daniel got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. The reason why some people succeed while others fail has very little to do with abilities. Most of our failures can be traced to an absence of discipline. An athlete must be disciplined in his practice and preparation. A tradesman must be disciplined in his trade. A craftsman must be disciplined in practicing his craft. A Christian must be disciplined in their walk. Success can never come without an investment. You can't sow wild oats and then hope for a wonderful harvest. It doesn't work that way. Okay. Okay, so we as believers, what are we to be disciplined in? How about prayer? We take our cue from Daniel. Prayer, it doesn't come naturally for us, does it? As fallible and selfish as human nature is, we're not used to giving praise or asking for help. We can't expect a fruitful prayer life without the discipline of consistent and considerable prayer. Do we have the right to complain about the absence of prayer in our schools when there's an absence of prayer in our homes? Should we defend the Bible in public yet deny it in the privacy of our own lives? Do we have a right to complain about the moral decay we see in America and yet fail to pray for America on a regular basis? Three times a day, Daniel got down on his knees. How about you and me? It takes discipline. How about the study of God's Word? Do we set aside and dedicate time to study, to learn, to meditate upon His Word? It takes discipline. How about disciplining our tongues? We're so quick to spread juicy rumors and gossip, but so slow to speak about what God is doing in our lives. So slow to speak up for truth instead. More people are run down by gossip than automobiles. Although many would consider gossip a a lesser sin than murder, gossip can kill. It can kill friendships. It can disrupt a family, divide a church, and assassinate a person's character. Someone once said, Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Psalm 34.13 Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Here's my version. Bite your tongue rather than let it spread gospel rumors or lies. You're destroying your reputation as much as you're slandering the target of your gossip. It takes discipline. How about our finances? Are we disciplined in our spending 
and in our saving. Hey, 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 cross the line. This has nothing to do with Scripture. This is, has nothing to do with the Bible. Wrong. Scripture's filled with verses on money management. Look them up. Go home. Google them. We should be more fair and equitable these days. Google being Yahoo or ask.com them. The point is disorder and chaos. It's easy. It's easy to pray only when we find time between all our other commitments and interests. It's easy to confine our study of the Bible to when we're sitting here in these seats. It's easy to give God only three hours on Sundays. It's easy to fall into gossip, especially when it's brought to us and everyone else is doing it. It's easy to be reckless with our money. Discipline is difficult. It doesn't come naturally. It's a choice. But it's a choice that yields a rich harvest, an exemplary reputation, a successful life in Christ, and most importantly, the approval of our Heavenly Father. Ask yourself today, is my life disciplined and ordered? Does God approve of my lifestyle? Choose discipline over disorder. He chose character over comfort, discipline over disorder. Third choice, Daniel chose faith over fear. A new law had been issued. No one was permitted to pray. We read what? For the next 30 days. Anyone caught doing so would be killed, fed to the lions. The law was really nothing more than a smokescreen used to get Daniel in trouble because his enemies were jealous. His rivals knew he would never stop praying. He would never turn from his God. Well, it wasn't very long before Daniel heard about this new law. And we read about it in verse 10. What did he do? He stopped praying. No. No, he went home. He opened up his windows. He did exactly what he did before. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Daniel was stoic and fearless in the face of death, right? No, I don't believe so. Did Daniel have fear? Yes, he was human. Did that fear derail Daniel's faith? That's the difference. No, it did not. He held on to his faith regardless of the threats of this world. He held on to the faith he knew despite the fear he felt. That was the difference. He had fear. Daniel's first allegiance, though, was to God. And we don't make light of that decision. There was much at stake. His career, his ambitions, his friendships, his relationships, his very life was on the line. But his allegiance to God was more important than any of that. Is your love for Christ more important than your ambitions. Ask yourself today, is God more important to you than the acceptance of your peers? Is Christ more worthy than the pursuit of power or possessions? So often we live in such fear at the threat of loss that that fear impacts our faith and changes how we live, doesn't it? Standing up for God, standing up for Christ and living according to His scriptural principles has consequences. If I take a stand for Christ at my school or workplace, well, I'll be looked at as strange, as weird, as an outsider. I'll lose my popularity. If I adhere to God's principles to not have unsafe business partners, well, I'm, I'm going to miss out on a big financial opportunity. 
If I, if I adhere to God's principle of separation, well, I may lose friends in this world. I would love nothing more than to coddle you and tell you, no, 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 no. Stand up for Christ. You won't lose a thing in this world. But it's not true. Stand for Christ and you will lose friends in this world. But then you have to ask yourself, were those really the friends or influences I wanted in my life? You may be looked at as strange. It's true. As weird to this world. But you heard it in the song. We are. We're strangers. We're pilgrims. We don't belong here. We're of a kingdom that's far greater. We are in this world, but we are not of it. We're headed for a far, far greater reward. Yeah, you may miss out on financial opportunities, but you'll gain far greater rewards in the next world. It's easy. It's easy to do what everybody else is doing. It's hard to stand for Christ. But is it easy to ignore the fear and choose faith every time? No, it's not easy. Is it something we can do solely in our own power? No. What do you think Daniel did on his knees three times a day? What do you think he prayed about for hours on end? Lord, give me your strength to stand when everyone around me is falling. Give me your power to rise up when fear is gripping my heart. Do you think Daniel experienced fear? Absolutely. He wasn't supernatural. There was nothing special about Daniel. He was just a man. But it wasn't about who he was. It was about who he knew. You can claim that same power today. The same power that shut the mouths of the lions and delivered Daniel from the pit to the palace. Honor God and He will always take care of you and honor you tenfold, a hundredfold. Friend, don't let loss or fear of loss, persecution, ridicule, or pain influence your faith. Stand firm on the foundation of Christ. Look, we're not always isolated from painful experiences. We go through them. There will be times when you and I will not escape the tribulations of life. We'll not always be spared a trip to the lion's den. But if we continue to trust in the Lord, He will bring us through. He will bring us through those experiences unharmed. David said it in Psalm 32, verse 7. He said, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. He will deliver us. He will be our refuge and strength in the time of trouble. Daniel chose faith over fear even when his life was on the line. Was he spared from the lion's den because of his choice? No. But did God deliver him through it? Yes. Did God honor that choice? Did God give him success? Yes, yes, and more so than he ever would have had had he compromised his faith. He chose faith over fear. Character over comfort. Discipline over disorder. Faith over fear. Three keys to a successful life in Christ. Do you look at your life here today and wonder why things aren't quite working out for you? Do you look at your relationship with God and realize it's not where it should be? Do you look at the results of your spiritual life and realize you're living a life of defeat at worst and mediocrity at best? God desires more for you, dear friend. 
We tend to look at an exemplary Christian life and, and think there's some sort of mystery behind it. There's no mystery. There's no well-kept secret hiding there. Lift up the veil of any exemplary Christian and you'll see a sinner saved by grace, dedicated to prayer, committed to living a life according to God's principles and seeking God for the power to live by faith in spite of any circumstances. That's it. An exemplary Christian life. Do you want a life like that today? Don't believe the devil's lies that it's too difficult, too costly, that you have to wait for circumstances to properly align, that you have to have more knowledge of the Scripture, more, more faith, greater faith, deeper understanding. You don't. Don't believe any of that. Don't believe the devil's lies that you'll miss out on too much. You won't. There's nothing in this world worth having that will last for eternity. Commit to the life Christ wants you to live today. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to live a life above the mediocrity we see and we find around us. Dare to live a life up to the ethics and morals God defined for us even when it's uncomfortable, unpopular, unrewarding on this earth. Dare to live a life of discipline. Committed to God in our prayer life, in our thought life, in our speech and in our actions. Dare to be a Daniel and watch what God can do in your life. Watch Him move in your life in ways you never dreamed possible. Watch Him do through you things you never thought could be accomplished. Watch Him. Watch Him shut the mouths of the lions around you. Watch Him empower you, deliver you, and justify you. Watch Him raise you from despair to hope, from restlessness to peace, from sorrow to joy, and from the pit to the palace. Dare to be a Daniel and watch Him smile upon you in this life and applaud you with those precious words in the next. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord, we're, we're tired of living a life of defeat and mediocrity. We're so thankful for the example of Daniel that you have provided us in your word. We want to live like that, Lord. We want to live like Daniel. We want to live a life above the average, above the norm, above the mediocrity. We can't do it alone, Lord. Give us your strength. Give us your strength to make the right choices. Help us to choose character over comfort, discipline over disorder, and faith over fear every time. We claim your power to live according to the standards you set for us, Lord, not simply to please this world, to go with the flow, to find comfort, popularity, and approval. We want your approval, Lord. We want your victory, your power, and your effect in our lives. We dare to be Daniels, Lord, and we commit to live wholly and fully for you. We turn to you. We thank you. And we love you with all of our hearts, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.